Perhaps you have heard the saying, I'm dog tired. If you don't know, I'll show you a few pictures. I don't know if you've ever, I hope you have dogs. If you don't, you can actually um, resonate with the face and the expression of our dogs. Um, I know as a pastor that's kind of cheating um, with puppies um, in church. It's like, it doesn't matter what really happens now. If we had great music and then we have puppies, you know, everything went really well. So, um, and I want you to see the expression of these dogs. And now we can see where we get that statement or that saying, um, being dog tired. Um, If you look on the face of these uh, animals, you might understand um, the person. uh, It's actually his his name is Tattoo. Tattoo is actually a basset hound. Um, It's a real story about a basset hound that appeared um, in the newspaper in Tacoma, Washington. The reporter wrote about Tattoo. Um, Tattoo didn't plan on going for a run that evening when he was owner accidentally shut the door of the poor dog's leash into the, the car door and the, the driver, the owner, drove away, leaving Tattoo to having a lot of decisions to make. The, the primarily, he had to run run very fast along beside the car. So now, thankfully, we um, uh, policemen um, saw the, the dog's dilemma and pulled the car over. The, the cop had this one observation. It was, I was so surprised by the speed of that little dog. That basset hound was picking up its feet and putting him down um, as fast as he possibly could. Apparently, his short legs got him clocked up to about 20 miles an hour, he says. So, I don't know about you, but sometimes you feel pretty tired, dog tired. And when you think about our message today, this welcomed passage um, that brings comfort and in, in an, an invitation for rest. It's, it's very popular. We know this passage. And like our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago, they were also dog-tired as well. And you look at the history, and they look at their Um, experience. They look back at their history and the moments of glory, but they weren't experiencing that at that time. When Jesus was sharing this passage and these words, they were not in a place of glory. It was a time where they were essentially slaves with an occupied area. They were in Roman territory. And they were looking for their moment of glory again. They were slaves and they were tired. And at that time, the religion did not bring rest or comfort either. 
At that point, Jesus spoke directly to the Pharisees and putting on heavy burdens on the backs of people, he called them out. So it was a difficult time. And maybe like a time like we're living in right now and the like. Us today, we want rest. We want more than just rest, though. I think that's the point. And his students say, no, I'll just take rest right now. I'll just take sleep. I'll take that. Um, but essentially, we really want more. Rest is more than just doing nothing, the absence of activity, or, or because if you um, just find that your raging waters are stilled, eventually, it will be stagnant unless you have something that's very meaningful in your life. So I was interested to hear the story as well um, from Madison who's talking because student missionaries who go, um, they, live the, they, they take their life and they go over to a place and they work um, like all day and they dedicate all of their time for one service, one idea. And it's a different experience, it's a different lifestyle. So they get used to that lifestyle where they're constantly serving, looking for needs and working for their task. But then when their term is over, this gap year, so to speak, they come back and they find struggles. Uh, it's what we call the return experience where they come back and, and now I'm not constantly serving anymore. I'm finding things to do, but they need more, something more meaningful to do. And they find that orientation and it's a struggle. In the same way, as we look at this passage, we're going to see the words of Jesus and see what he's going to say to us today. It's in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. It says, come to me, all who labor and all heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sounds like what we need, isn't it? Rest is available. Are you ready to pay the cost, though? You see, as we really unpack this um, statement of Jesus, we have to first understand what is he talking about? So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look about the what. What is Jesus really talking about? And number two, we'll look at how. How can we have this rest that he's offering? And number three, we'll say where. Where, where can we start? How do we do that right now um, to get started today? So, but the beginning, we need to understand what Jesus is saying. What does Jesus mean by offering all of this rest? Now, when we look at this, you have to understand that Jesus has given these words to people back then. They were seeing him for the first time, maybe, but we're looking back um, and we're seeing the stories and the history, and we know that Jesus is actually just the, he is the risen Christ. So when he says he's gonna give rest, and he's going to offer a life where we're saying, oh, of course we want that. He does what he says he's going to do. 
But back then, perhaps maybe they were looking at this person from Nazareth and saying, who do you think you are offering me this life? Who do you think you are? You want me to, to, to follow you? You want me to come to you to get this rest? And so in all of this, you have to take a look at this passage and say, is Jesus offering rest? Is this what he's asking them to do? Or is it there more? Is Jesus asking people to take a nap? Because <laughs> if you're looking for just a place, uh, a little siesta, so to speak, you're going to be disappointed. Sure, rest is promised, but the rest that comes is a byproduct of something else. Because essentially what Jesus is going to do, he's going to do an upside down perspective. He's going to do a seismic shift of their minds and their lifestyles. It's not an easy moment where you're just going to take a nap, a break. No, the invitation is not a respite, it's a new revolution. It doesn't really seem like a vacation to me. I know I don't vacation well. It takes me time to actually get into the vacation part and take time to settle in. And this is something deeper. Jesus is asking people to join a new world, essentially, by doing this. You think about um, these words again. Take a look at it. Before you can take advantage of this invitation, um, look at these words. Jesus says, come to me and take up your yoke. The first thing is, is, is you have to come to me, calling all people. It's a call to his will and his way of life. But in order to do all of this, you actually have to move. You have to orient your life. You have to turn yourself directly to Jesus. This is not one of these moments where it's a spiritual spa or an emotional soap tub thing moment. It's a re- like a real relationship where you have to face up to a person to change your orientation directly to Jesus. You know, I've done um, about 205 weddings in the last 20 years here in this valley and around the Northwest. That's a lot of love. That's a lot of weddings. It happens around here, so be careful. It's a good thing, but at every wedding, you'll see the same dynamic. You're going to find a groom and a bride in front of everybody, and we're always looking, and nobody's looking at the past or anything like that, but the bride and the groom are always facing each other. I can talk to them, but what I'm saying is not as, that, that's not really matter as much. You know, and, and, and the people out there, they want to get good pictures and things like that, but ultimately, what they really want, they want to witness two people facing each other, making a promise to each other, to connect to each other, to make a commitment to each other. Those moments is so perfect. It's almost like in this this vision when we see Jesus saying, come to me. That means you have to turn yourself away from the things that you're looking at right now. I know you're looking for a source 
of life or the search for satisfaction or hope. But it's not going to be over there. It's going to be right here, Jesus says. So something important about this call, this invitation is Number one, come to me. It's always really going to be about that relationship that you're going to have with yourself and Jesus. All of that, that's that new orientation. Secondly, um, and this invitation, this call, it's, it really looks like a lot of work. When you think about it, he says, um, take up your um, yoke, take up my yoke, he says. It's to set down your way and your life and your practices and your habits of thought and the thoughts and actions that you're, you're doing. And you need to um, surrender those things and now take up mine. And understand, he's not going to ask people to get rid of everything in your life, but the action of you surrendering yourself to your master is essential, is required. This is what we mean about discipleship. To have that orientation and then take up the yoke of Jesus. It's a very deep, enduring choice. And all of this (laughs) We're not talking about submitting to a person just for another advisor or a consultant. We're not talking about this. We're actually putting on that yoke and you're allowing the other person to lead and you will follow. That person will be the one who will move the direction one way or another, and you will follow. In the yoke, in those times, it was the stronger oxen would be on the yoke, and then the other part of that yoke was attached to something. It was a little weaker, but they would do the same work. But one would lead, and the other would follow. Think about this, what it means to have this relationship with Jesus where you have to do this surrender of everything and to follow. It's it's embracing the will of God, the the thing that God wants instead of what we want. (laughs) Think about the things that Jesus was saying to his disciples. Do you remember all the moments that he was talking about prayer and how to reach out to people. There's that one prayer he taught people to pay in the very center of the Lord's prayers to pray about God's will. And then their teacher, their master, who's saying the will of God is the most important thing. This is what we need to have on this earth. And then at the end of his life, it wasn't just talk. It wasn't just teaching how to to pray and get your posture right. No, at all, Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he had to go through that experience personally and say, I have my will and I have yours. I don't want to go to this place, but your will be done. That is the type of relationship he's calling us to, 
to come to him and say, my will be done. (laughs) I think about your prayers too. (laughs) I can pray and ask for forgiveness. I can ask for help. I could um, ask God, what are the words that we always use? Bless people this way or that way. I ask, be with us in all of that. When you actually ask God to his will be done in your life. That's, that's a pretty sacred moment when you do that. If you're doing it since, with sincerity, it's like you have to think through what you're asking. You really want God to lead you because we know the history of this God. He'll lead you anywhere, even places that you never choose yourself. Some of you have been there before and you know If I were to choose and chart your course, your will, your way, you wouldn't chart yourself the way you went until afterwards you see God. His will and his way is a good way at the end of it. To this day still, I wouldn't choose the things that he would choose for me. And that's why the relationship of a disciple, a follower, somebody simply comes and says, you lead. I'll take your yoke, your kingdom, your world, your dreams, your passion, your things, and I'll follow. That's not really a lot of rest, is it? <laughs> it's not one of those moments where you're sitting there saying, well, wait a minute, I thought I was going to get a break. <laughs> now, this is different. This is the type of the rest for the soul. Because at the end of the day, we... We want more than just sleep. We want more. And that's what he's calling. So this is what we're asking in this passage. So that's the what. Jesus is not asking for a spa moment, uh, a weekend, a retreat. He's going to call a charge instead. And he's going to say, I want you to follow. And it's going to call everything for you. Hmm. So that's what he's calling. Question is, is next. How does this happen? How how does this experience, this transfer happen? And I think like anything else in life, the answer is not, it's not something that's obvious, but it's just, um, well, maybe it is obvious, but it is something that I think we overlook it sometimes. But look at the nature of how we learn things. If I'm supposed to come to Jesus and orient my life face-to-face, eyes-to-eyes to Jesus, and then take up his yoke, how does this work? <laughs> I mean, what does it mean? I can say it, but I've said things before, and I didn't necessarily mean it, or I did those things, and I forgot about it. Well, how does this How does this? discipleship moment happen where the will of God and the way of God gets into our being, in our work, in our day. How does that happen? It goes back to the passage again. Take a look at this. I love what Jesus says. He comes right out and he says, take my yoke upon you. And what does he say? Learn from me. 
And you know most of the things in your life that you learn is when things that you actually um, experience and do over time. To learn from me is not only a changing your mind, but it's different, totally different life. The, the word that comes to mind in our culture today is mentoring. Now mentoring, they use it for just about anything from managing people. That's not really mentoring, but they can use it and it does work. And then there are other things um, where you try and assist people into the things of life. Uh, but then I would say it as pure mentoring is when you decide to choose somebody that you want to be like and you enter into a relationship, a teaching relationship, where you're going to do things that they do in such a way that you'll do things different. You're not, you're not trying to be the other person, but to be like them. It comes into our, um, our DNA. We are kind of created to take the traits and the attributes of others that you're connected to into your life. You have that in your family. You look around to people that you know and you hear somebody who's laughing or the way they walk or say certain things and you say, you sound just like your dad or that's just, that's what your brother says or whatever. You hear those uh, moments because we're kind of connected with those traits, but it's also not just things that's DNA, but it's things that we do when we groom up in, in our lives. So we see all of that. That means that there's something that happens in our lives as we learn together. And look at your teachers that have been important for you. It's not because they opened up the book and say, and you're on page 105, read. That is not teaching. It's, what the, it's, the, it's the way they um, loved you, inspired you, did problems with you had failures and success, and ultimately they knew who you were. Those are your teachers. There's nothing different today and back then. This is the most ancient thing that we've ever seen. Even go back to that story um, on Mount um, Carmel with um, Elijah had this beautiful moment, this sensational moment where he's, he's on a showdown and he calls down for fire and it happens and it's like the miraculous is everywhere and everybody's listening to you now. You're right, your God is great and it's a perfect situation and except afterwards he has to go into a cave and the first thing he had to do and God pulled him out of that cave it was to do one thing, one of several things, but one of the things on the list is you need to go and find Elisha and you need to teach them. That's your apprenticeship. That's the person who's gonna follow you. This relationship happens all the way through the Old, Test Old Testament and into the New Testament. And this is one of the things that Jesus is not just going to be very indirect. He's going to be very specific about this experience. So when we're talking about how do we do that, we're going to find how to do the will and the way of Jesus by each other, others, your teachers, um, people in your life that you love and who have entertained into this walk with you. That's where it happens. Now, if you overlook that, you'll miss some things. 
But take a look at what Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 40. He describes this. It's almost like the curriculum for all of our education. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. Or in John um, 14, 12 is where he says, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, you're going to do those things. And eventually, oh, this is, this is the real master teacher who will say this, and even you'll do even greater things than me. Wow. To have, do you have professors who are trying to just teach you something that they know, but I think most of the people that I know in the art, in the science, the work of being teachers, they want somebody who's going to exceed your skills, your knowledge. That's the whole point. Do you see that in Jesus? He's saying that right here. Uh, How you do it, again, Mark verse three, it's just a description of what's going on, but a a pound uh, appointed these 12 people to be with him. And then he would send them out and he would eventually give them authority to do this stuff. This is not just something that just Jesus is doing this because he transferred this to his disciples and his apostles. (laughs) Paul picks up Timothy, and does the same thing. And remember, he says, my son, be strong in the grace in Jesus Christ. They're talking about their teacher, right? And the things that you have heard in the presence of all these witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Do you see it? We have the ability to teach to each other. So one of the things that we will see How do we do that? We do that with each other. Through learning that way. How do I know the will of God? In general terms, we do it that way. Through other people. We have the same textbook, but we flesh this out in our lives. Get ideas. (laughs) Catches our (laughs) imagination. We want to practice it, and we fail it, and we try it again, and we refine it over and over. And this is this beautiful thing. Look what Jesus says, the rest that Jesus is saying, he's saying, it's not going to happen if you don't buy into this mentorship experience, this discipleship thing. It won't work. If you want to be in charge, it won't work. You know people who don't, in our world, that they don't listen to other people. They think their, um, their Bible is their mind. And it functions, they don't listen to others. It, it's not a very effective uh, uh, way to do it. But you know that the people that are great leaders and great teachers and people who make great um, you know, endeavors in life, these are people who have this quality, and Jesus will say it about himself. He says, um, about himself, he says, um, I am ge- I'm gentle. I am humble. You can see that. Um, I am worthy to be your teacher. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You have to look at that and say, that's so 
beautiful to see a, a teacher, a master who'll say, look, I don't know it all. Or basically saying, I'm, I'm willing to do this with you. So, in all of this, you have to see at the end, um, there are these moments where God is calling people to an, an invitation to take up his life. In order to do that, we're going to have to start learning it day by day. Okay, so, well, how do I start now, though? Great idea. I know how to do it, but how does it work? Where do I start? And I do think you have to look at the scriptures at that point, because at that point, I know When you look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, there are statements that God has made through the the apostles of Jesus who are very explicit. Uh, So I went through the Bible with some students and I said, let's find all the passages that actually talk about God's will. I mean, the explicit moments where God is saying, you know, through these mentors, they're saying, what is the will of God? Because that's what people are asking. And we're not talking about who you should marry or what major you should have or what town you should leave or college you should go. That's, those are not things. And if we were looking for that, we had one of those things in the Old Testament, the Urim and the tomb. That's that little vest that you can do situational moments and you can have answers from God. And I would love to have one of those things where I can just find out how to do that. I need one in a primary colors, I'm a a winter. But in all of that, you would have that and you would know, but that's not really the will of God. That's not what we're talking about. We're trying to understand what is my purpose and what do I do with my life? How do I walk? And all of that, (laughs) the Bible says that. So um, there's four or five, I'll show you the explicit um, advice of people who are our mentors in the New Testament church. The first one is number one, God's will, you might not say anything about who you should marry or what major you should do or where you should live, (laughs) but he'll tell you one thing, is no matter what, he doesn't care about anything else. If you do this one thing, he's gonna be happy, (laughs) is that you, make that decision to say yes, that I'll be your sacrifice, I'll be your savior, I'll be your Lord. That's a moment where you have to make a change of mind. That's what we call salvation. So the one thing that he wants most of all is that, take a look at this, and the, the Lord of, is patient. It's the one thing that he wants more than anything else is no one. He doesn't want to lose one of them, but come to the place where they say yes to me. He says it in Galatians as well. This is the will of God, right? That we want to rescue everyone from this thing, and I love it in Timothy. It says our God, our Savior, who wants all people to be That's what he wants at the end of the day. If that happens, are we okay? Yes. So the explicit will is pretty simple. Have that conversation with Jesus every day about this, where you're going to spend your eternity. The only way you can do that is to say yes about what Jesus did for you at the cross. And then (laughs) another one, number two, 
another explicit thing that you find in the New Testament. It's talking about the will. It's about growth. Now, most people that I know, they wanna grow. They wanna get better at what we're doing. We wanna sing better. We wanna run better. We wanna be more refined what we're doing. We want to do better. We want to grow. I wanna be more patient. I wanna be more compassionate. I wanna be more committed into relationships. All these different things. There's a lot of different things that we can grow into, but this is what we call being mature. All right, and Colossians talks about this. This is um, to fill with the knowledge of God and his will, that you'll have all this wisdom and knowledge. And it's talking about, at the end, he's talking about every work growing and building and growing into the person that God has created us to do. So he wants you to be saved, number one. <laughs> number two, he wants you to be, he wants to be growing in a relationship with that. Um, another one, it was, this one's, um, uh, <laughs> this is a hard one. Um, it's in God's will is to go to work. So at the end of the day, we want to have some sort of mysterious revelation, but he's basically telling us to go to work. Go to the place. If you're the boss, be kind like God is. Be humble as God is like that in Christ. In other words, he's saying if you're the boss, do this. But if you're not the boss, if you're a follower, if you're working for somebody, you work with that spirit of humility and kindness and service to the, that's what you can do today. He's saying, well, that's what I can do. Go to work today. Whether you are slave or free, he says, Go to work and do it in such a way. <laughs> that is the will of God. Number four, I love this one. It might be my favorite one. Um, it says this, God's will. <laughs> God's will is to quiet the critics. He says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. <laughs> That's in the Bible, I love that. All the times I sharpen my tongue to actually try to say something clever about people who are being foolish, maybe rolling my eyes, maybe instead of rolling my eyes, maybe instead of the quick razor-like comment about a person, maybe, maybe I need to have something else to say. Maybe I should basically do good and quiet the foolishness that comes from people's lives and their words. <laughs> and there's another one here, um, the last one here, God's will. Rejoice, pray, and give. This is almost the, the uh, essentially worship. <laughs> Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is what? This is God's we're for you at this place. So as you're looking at this, I'm going to show you this list again real quick. I just want you to see it. And then I'm going to ask a question. You put this on your list to do today. You want Jesus in your life. You want to have a relationship. You want to do all those different things. You're saying yes. How do you do it? You're going to have to do this with other people. But let me ask a question. If you were to do this every day, even parts of this, schedule it out. Focus on those features of our mentors. Do you think at the end of that day 
we're going to feel hopeless, anxious, lost. If I do that, I don't have a problem about the will or the way at all. At the end of the day, I'm exhausted, but the soul is full and rested. So let's take a look at that invitation one more time. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and all are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that the rest that you want today? Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.